Hey there, it's Dr. Nazanin Mo'oli, and I want to chat with you about a key ingredient for a fabulous date night, feeling sexy. And come on, let's be real. What you wear plays a big part in how you rock that confidence. That's why I'm thrilled to introduce you to Quince. Quince brings you premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts starting at just $30, along with washable silk tops, 40-carat gold jewelry, and more. And guess what? All of their goodies are priced 50 to 80% lower than similar brands. By teaming up directly with top factories, Quince skipped the middleman and hands us the saving. Plus, they stick to factories with safe, ethical practices and top-notch fabrics and finishes. How awesome is that? Picking from Quince's website was tough because they have a ton of fabulous choices. I ended up going for their 100% washable silk sleep dress in champagne. And let me tell you, my husband was floored. He's convinced whoever rocks this is in for a blast. I'm going to record some content on that dress so you can see how fabulous is that dress. Elevate your date night style with Quince. Pop over to quince.com slash sexology for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's quince.com slash sexology to get free shipping and 365-day returns. quince.com slash sexology. Welcome to Sexology, a podcast that untangles the science of sex and pleasure. And now, with this week's episode, your host, clinical psychologist, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Hello there. Welcome to episode 72 of Sexology Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Today, we're going to talk about uh, sex work. And how is it to work at the the legal brothels in the United States? A few months ago, uh, one of the sex workers, she reached out to me and she she was interested to be on this show. And the main reason that she wanted to come on the show was because of the one of the controversial bills that was initially, it seemed like it was intended to curb down the sex trafficking, but it it had some other consequences for legal sex workers. And I was thinking, okay, we already had several sex workers on this show. We had Dr. Sandra on episode nine. Uh, she was one of the well-known dominatrix that worked in dungeons in New York City for a while. And then we had Central Sarah, uh, who talked about uh, working as a sex phone operator. And she was, her specialty was fetishes. But I finally thought it would be a great idea to have Alice Little in the show because of her passion for advocacy around uh, help providing healthcare to sex workers. And also, I thought it would be interesting to hear uh, one of the ladies that work at Bonnie Ranch and how is it like to work there because... If for those of you guys that they don't, you guys don't live in the United States, Bonnie Rancher is one of the well-known brothels here and it's legal and it's common for some people to go there. So I was, I also was curious. Anyhow, our guest today is Alice Little. She's considered the number one top earning legal sex worker in the United States. She's 4'8 legal sex worker at Nevada's 
World Famous Moonlight Bunny Ranch. Alice is also a vocal advocate for legal sex workers and the founder of the political movement Who Cares for Healthcare. She was featured in a number of different shows, including ABC's Nightline, and she was in Tim Ferriss' show, and so many different podcasts. Anyhow, without further ado, here's my conversation with Alice Little. Welcome back to another episode of Sexology Podcast. I am so excited to have Mrs. Alice Litter on the show today. She is one of the highest earning uh, legal sex worker in the United States. And uh, she also, as I mentioned during the in the introduction, uh, is very involved with advocacy work for legal uh, sex work. Alice, welcome to our show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. Me too. And I was reading about your background and your experiences, and I saw you work at different professions. So tell me about what it, what was it about the sex work that you got got you interested in, and how did you get into this profession? Well, for me, at the end of the day, at my truest heart of hearts, I'm a humanist. I live to connect with those around me, and I look forward to nothing more. Throughout my life, I've tried different professions from being a jockey over at the Belmont Racetrack, working as an EMT. I've been a massage therapist before, all looking for ways to kind of connect. And I never felt like the career I was in allowed me to do so in a really effective way until a friend of mine started to work at the Bunny Ranch about two and a half years ago. She invited me to come check it out. And I wrote in and was accepted to do a two-week tour. Two weeks very quickly turned into two years. And now I work at the Bunny Ranch full time. How awesome. And you know, I hear from my clients about Bunny Ranch and some of them, they have really good experiences of visiting there. So here in California, some of the sex therapists, we work with sexual surrogates. So refer to surrogates and some people just prefer to go a different route of going to Bunny Ranch for different experiences. So for our listeners that are not necessarily aware of what what is it like to work at Bunny Ranch, can you tell us a little bit about uh, what are some of the aspects of the ranch that you like? What are some of the aspects of the job that you like? And some of the areas that's just more challenging. One of the things that I enjoy most about the Bunny Ranch is that the ladies have the ability to kind of choose their focus and specialty. For me, sex education is something that I am incredibly passionate about. And by working at the Bunny Ranch, I'm able to blend both my sex work and my message of sex education together in just this amazing, harmonious way. I'm able to work with a really wide range of clients and not just men either. I have couples and women that oftentimes will come and see me as well. One of the things that can sometimes be difficult about being a sex worker isn't the job itself, but how people react to the job in ways that you wouldn't necessarily expect. Unfortunately, in our society, there's a lot of implicit bias that comes with the word sex worker. And so somebody tends to make very large assumptions about you as a person when they hear that you're a sex worker suddenly that becomes the only metric in which they judge you and your character by when, of course, I'm a lot more than just a sex worker. I'm 
an educated woman. I'm incredibly passionate about horses and animals. I just love, love my job. And the difficult part is communicating to those who don't understand the benefit that sex work has on society. That is so true because as a psychologist, I also sometimes witness in my community with therapists that some people, when they work with sex workers, they have the stigma. They want to kind of their goal in the mind is help them to change their job or career. But similar to what you're sharing with me, Alice, I know many of the people I work with, that's their passion and they like their job. Absolutely. I love this. I chose to do this. I could have done any number of jobs. I've had multiple job offers. I've been very, very blessed in my life to have access to really good quality education. And by virtue of that, I've received lots of great job offers, but none of them were the job that I wanted. None of them allowed me to help people on that humanist base level quite in the same way that sex work does. Right. And I'm so glad that you're talking about it openly because I feel when it comes to sex work, there's so many myths and misconceptions around that. Some people, they confuse between sex, like people who got trafficked into doing the, uh, like doing the prostitution versus legal sex worker. How do you see the difference? Well, the first thing to do is to really define the differences between sex work and sex trafficking. Sex trafficking at its fundamental level is non-consensual, it is coerced, it is forced, it is manipulated, it is somebody that is entering into sex work against their will, and if they were able to choose to do something else, they would. That is what sex trafficking is. It's, it, it's the difference of giving consent and not. When you're doing sex work, you're coming forward very openly for yourself, choosing and opting into this profession. And in my particular case, through the Bunny Ranch, I'm able to do so within a legal capacity too. Sex work isn't this conceptualization of just a beautiful woman stripping down and having sex with a man. Sex is easy and sex is almost implied in a way when you come to the Bunny Ranch you know that's an option. What's more so special and what I personally care about is the connection. It's the experience. It's our interaction. It's the kissing. It's the touching. It's everything but the actual sex that really makes sex work so special. And so I'd say that the biggest difference between sex work and sex trafficking is one is consensual, one is unconsensual. And the biggest benefit to sex work isn't that it's, it's just not sex. It's so much more than just that single aspect. Absolutely. And you're right with sex trafficking. I think it's as wrong as people who do, uh, who get involved in domestic work trafficking. It's just a matter of forcing people and taking advantage of them. So that's not what I hear about many legal sex workers and most of the people at least that I know. So tell us a little bit about your niche or your specialty. So it seems like you're very passionate about this work. So tell me about how did you arrive to the kind of identifying what are some of the things that you really like to focus on? One of the questions that I asked myself when I entered this profession is, 
what can I do to make as big of an impact on as many lives as possible to bring about positive sexual change? And I went about and tried to identify what I believe are the top three things that inhibit people from being successful in a sexual capacity. What I discovered is that first, communication is key. People have to be willing to use their words, express themselves openly and honestly, not just in regards to their pleasure, but also in regards to their sexual pleasure preferences. It's okay to say faster or slower. It's okay to ask for a change in position if something is uncomfortable. But oftentimes people feel a hesitation there and they end up missing out on some of the best sexual experiences because they're afraid to use their words and ask for the things. The second thing that I really found was an incredible lack of sex education in American society. Unfortunately, our system sets us up to fail. We have an abstinence-only program throughout the majority of the United States. And oftentimes, I have adult virgins come to me who don't even know how to put a condom on or what type of lube is appropriate to use with a condom. And so part of my job has become fulfilling that education gap and helping those folks meet, meet their education needs. And then the third thing that I find is sex as a need. We oftentimes skip over sexual health when we're talking about our bodies. We'll talk about our physical health, our mental health, even our spiritual health far before we'll talk about our sexual health. And so what we see happening is a bunch of folks that have really unhealthy sexual practices or concepts about sex that just simply don't know how to go about exploring and getting the experiences that they want. And, and so I kind of try to blend those three things together and arrived at my specialty of kind of well-rounded sex education and helping people become their best sexual being. Right. And I think the area that at least I, I heard from my clients that they got lots of support with was adult virgin. So because I feel sex like any other behavior, part of it is learned behavior. Like you need to practice it. For example, if a client's coming to me for phobia of something, we're going to go act on the phobia or like it's more hands-on. And I think, yeah, so with sex therapy, I feel it's wonderful to talk about things, but I think it's important to kind of have other resources for people to go practice those skills and have some kind of hands-on experiences. And it seems like that's something that you offer. Absolutely. Where else in the world can you genuinely ask a woman, hey, I want to improve my oral sex skills and I have no idea what I'm doing. Could you teach me how to give a girl pleasure? Not a problem. That is absolutely something we can accomplish at the Bunny Ranch. There's also another side of it, too, the emotionality of sex and connection. I oftentimes find myself working with widowers, folks that have lost their significant other through divorce, death, early separation, things of that nature also can put really, really firm limitations in place in someone's sexual beliefs about themselves. And so part of the beauty of my job is getting to help somebody take those walls down and rediscover themselves sexually and kind of get back in the saddle and back into the sex game. That is such an interesting perspective because I didn't necessarily thought about, I know we briefly talked about it uh, in our previous communication about loss and the 
the healing impact of having human interaction after the loss. So tell me a little bit more about that. How do you help them to work through their emotion? Compassion is the greatest gift that we as human beings can give to another human being. To look at somebody, put ourselves in their shoes, understand, relate to them, connect to them, and then comfort them. That is just such an incredibly beautiful thing that has long existed in our society, oftentimes within the form of sex work. One thing that people forget, and I always have to throw in a little bit of a history lesson here, sex workers have been acting in a therapeutic capacity all the way back to Assyro-Babylonian times. Sex workers at one point in time were even in ziggurats, in temples. We were holy religious women. We were priests in a way that offered sexual guidance and counseling to the rest of society. And so part of my mission as a sex worker was to embody that old way of thinking as being not just someone available for sex, but also this resource, this education, this connection, this compassion. And I really try to embody that in everything that I do. What a beautiful way of looking at it. So one other thought that I have in, about this specific topic is like whenever someone's coming into a brothel, they ask the services of a, a sex worker, I would imagine at the beginning, if that's the experience that they haven't had, they probably will feel very self-conscious, uncomfortable, possibly some kind of a negative feeling, negative emotions around that. So how do you make people feel comfortable, people who are coming in for the first time to see you? So I tend to do things a little bit differently than most ladies. I am available by appointment only, which means that those who want to see me would send me an email or contact me ahead of time. What this does is it gives us the opportunity to communicate over email and text message leading up to our date to kind of relax, get to know each other, feel a little bit more comfortable so that by the time somebody physically arrives at the ranch, we're already old friends at that point and it's just hanging out with a buddy. It's a lot more relaxed and comfortable that way and it's something that I really prefer too. I find that when we get the opportunity to interact and ask questions, get to know each other, find out about our different sexual fantasies and even just simple things like, hey, tell me about something that makes you happy. If you were to close your eyes and think of something that makes you smile, what is the first thing that comes to mind? I oftentimes have conversations like that with my clients to get to know them and it lets them get to know me too. That is so wonderful. So it seems like you initially work on kind of building rapport, relation, kind of a somehow kind of some kind of a relationship. So it's not what people think. It's just as you said, only sex. It's going to be prior communication and prior kind of a, a rapport building. And I think part of me, I wonder, it's easier when you have one person in the room. I'm curious to hear about when you get the couple. So based on my experience at times, again, super kind of uh, stereotypical behavior, but some of the couples that like way of thinking, some of the couples that I see in my practice, they want to experience threesome. And they're telling me that like, it's the pressure comes more from the husband. So I'm sure there are different kind of variation of people coming in to see you. But I would imagine if one party is more interested and the other party is just like tagging along, it is a different dynamic. How do you navigate those situations? So whenever I work with clients, I like to talk with both a 
the couple together as well as separately. I find that everybody has their own sexual preferences, both the husband and the wife or boyfriend or girlfriend, whatever the couple scenario is here. And so I try to find out what that individual is looking to get from the experience. What are you hoping to get out of this? Are you looking to form some memories? Are you looking to please your husband? Are you looking to gain some sex skills? Are you looking to have your first sexual encounter with a woman? And then I ask the, the other partner those same questions. What are you looking for? And then I kind of bring it all together and go, well, this is what he is really wanting to focus on. This is what she's really wanting to focus on. How can the three of us communicate to blend all three of these things together so this way both partners' needs, wants, and desires are being addressed during our time together? And sometimes if her interest isn't primarily sexual, you have to discover what, what is her interest. Is she really wanting to give him this amazing, pleasurable experience? Fantastic. We can do that. Now, at the same time, let's turn this around and go, now, what can we do in return for your wife to please her? Maybe the two of us can lay her down. We could give her a nice two-person massage and get her nice and relaxed and loosened up. Maybe she wants to go out to dinner first and have a dinner and drinks conversation. And so it's about identifying each person's needs and wants and really making sure that we get to both people's goals equally. That makes sense. And it also made me wonder, I think it teaches people the skills for negotiating because some couples, like most couples, their struggle is, so we all different people and people want different things and just hard for them to kind of negotiate what they want and also take perspective of kind of like what other person wants. So it seems like somehow you you also model that for them. Yes. It, there's always this very funny misconception that sexually we treat others how we want to be treated, but not everybody wants to be treated the same sexually. You don't treat somebody how you want to be treated. You need to treat somebody how they want to be treated. Even if your preference might be, I want a really intense hug and a kiss and this very wild sexual encounter, maybe what she's wanting and needing out of it is something a little bit softer. And so instead, we focus on how do we have a meeting of the minds and blend the two together into an incredible experience for everyone. It's all about cooperation, I think. Absolutely. And I think somehow it can restart the couple's like sexual life, uh, like re-energize it so they can carry out the energy that they kind of create in a session with you with themselves. So I can see definitely see the benefits. I cannot tell you how many clients write back to me afterwards. Couples especially, they're like, wow, my sex life is better than ever. We weren't even this active when we just got married. Thank you so much. Oh, my gosh. And then oftentimes it turns into an ongoing relationship where the couple will then come back several months later and go, hey, that threesome was so much fun. Let's do it again. But this time I would like to explore BDSM or I'd like to explore explore sex toys or let's try something we haven't ever done before. And so then I'm able to help couples move outside their circle of comfortability and start to spice things up, which is just so fulfilling for me. Great. And again, I can totally see that that can be beneficial for couples as much as beneficial for individuals. And I feel part of me wonder, I think it's a better way of might be easier way of people introducing a third person into their relationship. Because at times, people uh, kind of want to seek out relationship in day-to-day -day lives. And 
I, sometimes I hear the fear that what if the couple would develop a relationship outside? So for example, if it's a coworker, we're having a threesome, what if my wife falls in love with him? Or there would be a relationship without me being involved. But it seems like if there's a professional like you, that they're not going to be the, as much of a concern there. Correct. It not only addresses that concern, but additionally, you know that you're working with somebody that understands how threesomes work mechanically, understands and really is going to be focused on safe sex. One thing that couples oftentimes forget about when they're interested in threesomes is how do you have a safe threesome? What do those practices look like to keep, say, fluid contamination from going between partners? That's something that I'm taking care of during the threesome without either partner even realizing that it's happening because I'm a professional. So what I'm able to do is make the experience happen in the most idealistic way possible so that everybody gets to walk away from it with a really big smile on their face. That's my reward at the end of the day is when somebody is like, wow, that was the best sex ever. I'm like, ah, I have done my day. Good day's work. (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful. I guess the other thought that I have, we talked about uh, one of the misconceptions is people kind of thinking sex workers are forced to do that. But what are some other common myths that you hear about sex workers and sex work? Um, A very common misconception about sex work is that the women are only in it for the money. There is this money motivation conversation that constantly comes up around sex work because, of course, it is a very lucrative industry for anybody entering it. At the same time, however, that's not my primary motivation, nor is it the primary motivation for most women working. At the end of the day, we all work a job to pay our bills, to take care of our financial needs. But with sex work, there's this deeper level of passion. When you choose to do sex work, you're choosing to engage with people on an incredibly personal level, unlike any other profession where you literally are naked with another human being sharing an experience with them that's incredibly, incredibly personal. And for me, the value of my job and what I really, really enjoy about my job is the connectivity more so than, say, the monetary benefits of it. So that's another very common misconception. Another thing that I oftentimes run into, and this is something that I'm going to specifically speak to any medical professionals that may be listening, is this sense that if there is something physically wrong with a sex worker, that it somehow must be related to their reproductive organs. Just this past year, I actually had appendicitis. When I went into the ER exhibiting every single classic symptom of appendicitis, I'm even telling them, I think it's appendicitis. Here's where the pain is. They tried to run an STD test before they were willing to check out appendicitis. What what in the actual world is happening? And so that that implicit bias in a medical capacity is something that is incredibly impactful and could even potentially end a sex worker's life if a major medical condition were to be missed. So I always want to take a moment and stress that particular misconception, that particular myth that if there is something going on with the sex worker, it must be related to their sexual organs. And that just simply isn't true. We're people like everybody else. 
Oh my God, I'm sorry to hear that. And I didn't think about it before you mentioned, I never thought about it before, but it just, it's ridiculous because even if it's an issue of safety, there are many people working in a high risk areas, like researchers on HIV, physicians being kind of poked by needle all the time. And I don't hear them kind of getting tested when they're going in for something else. Absolutely. My my health risks as an EMT in New York were far, far greater than anything that I could ever face within legal sex work. And that's another thing is this whole conceptualization of the risk of sex work. When we're talking about legal sex work at the Bunny Ranch, it's legal, it's regulated. The ladies see the doctor every single week to make sure that we don't have any STDs or STIs. Condoms are used. Barriers are used for all sexual activities. The ladies are given sex education so they know how to do their jobs safely and effectively. All of these tools and resources are established to make sure that we have a very, very successful legal system in place. And it works. So this conceptualization of risk just simply isn't there. There's really not a risk to being a legal sex worker. It's no risky than having sex with a condom with any other partner anywhere else. Right. And I'm glad that you're saying that it's just, it's regulated. You know, you guys are using safety measures that's congruent with what I hear from my clients as well. And it's interesting then still people have this strong stigma and fear when it comes to sex worker. And I'm so sorry for the experience you had that I would be enraged if that was my experience. Then it makes me wonder, how do you choose your healthcare provider so you can feel safe with them? So this this kind of relates to one of the missions that I work with, um, Hookers for Healthcare. I founded a organization, Hookers for Healthcare, not just for the obvious alliteration of hookers in healthcare, but also to kind of harness the power of the word hooker. It's oftentimes wielded against sex workers like it's a weapon. And so I choose to harness that word and use it to convey our message. We are sex workers. We're quote unquote hookers. But we're advocating for our own health care. One of the things that we do is we actually have a a preferred provider list where Dennis has built up over the years the most incredible network of physicians, estheticians, doctors, psychologists. We have auto mechanics, nail technicians, hairdressers, photographers. We have people that we prefer to work with in virtually every single industry because there is so much stigma. We've had to create that to have access to services in a non-biased way. I love that. Again, I think it is such an important movement because even if it filled up mental health, I see there's so much stigma and like people have this kind of like misconception and kind of wrong belief when it comes to sex work. So I'm glad that you uh, started this movement. So tell me, how do you go about compiling, like finding people? What, what is that process like? Oftentimes when I'm reaching out to a new provider to find out if they're comfortable working with sex workers, I will call them ahead of time to introduce myself. Hi, my name is Alice Little. I'm a sex worker at the Bunny Ranch. I'm interested in coming to see you, but I wanted to have a conversation first to let you know about my expectations about my visit with you. 
here are some of my concerns. In the past, I've experienced some bias. I've experienced some disappointing prejudices. And I want to make sure that you're comfortable working with me, potentially working with my coworkers if we have a positive experience. And would you want to be added to this list of people that are comfortable working with sex workers? And so I give people the option right up front. If you are uncomfortable, say so now. And we can just end the conversation, simple as that. And so I'm very, very straightforward and direct about it. I'm not mincing my words. I'm not going into the office first before they even meet me. They're very, very comfortable with the fact that this is what I do for a living. And I'm not going to let my quality of service be affected by my chosen career. I am so excited to hear and I'm so Happy to hear that that's a process that you have for seeing if someone is a good fit for co-workers, for sex workers, for friends, because I can see that when it's not like it seems like you're naming it. This is my career. This is my job. And this is the expectation I have for my healthcare. versus going there, kind of like not knowing where the provider's belief is and kind of compromising your health because of feeling like you don't have options with other providers. Correct. That self-advocacy is just so incredibly important. And I've got to say, it's something that I think is really empowering too. When I see other sex workers then call their providers and be, hey, I'm a sex worker. I want to be able to use your services and I don't want to be discriminated against. Are we going to have a problem here? When the ladies have that conversation with their own providers, you definitely see a change. You see confidence. You see this sense of pride in what we do. Sex workers are incredibly, incredibly proud of their professions. For me personally, I refuse to be silenced and I refuse to lie about what I do for a living. Even if that means that I may have a negative experience with somebody or may be judged by somebody, I would rather go ahead and put myself out there and say, you know what, I am a sex worker. And if you have any questions or you really want to get to know me and learn a little bit about the ranch, ask away. I'm a resource in that regard. But at the same time, though, I'm not going to tolerate somebody bullying, bashing, or even conflating sex trafficking to sex work. Those are the things that I simply just do not tolerate. And I think it's so courageous of you to, and I think it's needed to kind of own that and verbalize where you are with it, because I can only imagine when you're putting yourself out there, what kind of a hate messages you get from people. But also I'm sure many people feel the same way that I feel right now, that a lot of admiration for like you making sure your needs are getting met. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's not even just a matter of self-advocacy for making sure that my needs are getting met. There's also right now an active movement in the Dayton County by a group identifying themselves as the No Little Girl Organization that's actively campaigning to try to shut the brothels down, co-inflating sex trafficking to sex work, saying that the women of the ranch are forced and coerced. And so... You don't even have to imagine I'm literally on a daily basis having to fend myself just to have a legal place to work at this point. Right. And it's so unfortunate, again, because as we talked about, there are so 
so many benefits of having a legal brothel and like people who are passionate about their their job and their practicing safe sex. Is there any specific advocacy work that your organizations, Hooker for Healthcare, now promoting? Right now, Hookers for Healthcare is really focused on making sure that the ladies have access to insurance, understand their insurance policies, and know how to set up and gain access to the various providers to help them take care of their medical needs. So back in January, we did a big campaign where we helped the ladies sign up for health insurance, get familiarized and comfortable with the healthcare marketplace, talked about the difference between PPO and HMO. And so there was a lot of education initially. At this point, the campaign has kind of moved on to the more active side of helping the girls connect with the various providers. Hey, you're telling me that you need to get your pap smeared on. Well, we've got this provider here that's very comfortable working with our ladies. Three or four girls have already been to them. Here's their card. Go ahead and give them a call. They'll get you all taken care of. And so there's a lot of that happening right now. Excellent. And I know that when initially connected, you wanted to talk about the foster sister. Yes. I'm so disappointed that it seems like it was signed. So I guess like it was just it's great that you were advocating to educate people about the negative aspect of like having this in the law. So tell us a little bit about now that uh, my understanding is that accurate now, unfortunately, it's been signed. Correct. FOSTA-SESTA has been passed into law. And I do want to make one thing very clear to the listeners here. FOSTA and SESTA tends to affect the independent sex worker community far more significantly than the legal sex worker community. But it's something that we do need to talk about because it is an overall societal perception about sex and sex work. The difficulty with SESTA and FOSTA is that it doesn't give attribute to legal sex work or consensual sex work. It kind of frameworks all sex work as being coerced, trafficked, and forced, and fails to recognize that there can be legal, consensual sex work between adults. And by leaving that out of there, what has kind of happened is this awful tumbleweed effect of websites reacting and having to modify their forums, delete websites entirely. Um, Craigslist deleted their entire personal section and went so far as to ban the word massage. Oh my massage God. isn't even sexual. <laughs> you guys, you can like get a massage anywhere. That's not even a sexual thing. But as a result of SESTA and FOSTA limiting speech and limiting what is able to be on the Internet, the word massage somehow ended up getting banned. <laughs> That's ridiculous. It's it's crazy. It's taking this concept of, oh, we have to protect potentially exploited women by gaining control over the Internet. And now it's a limitation on freedom of speech. Essentially, what SESTA and FOSTA has done is made websites responsible for the content that their users put out there. So let's just say that somebody genuinely was sex trafficked and their trafficker were to say, advertise their services on Craigslist. Well, now Craigslist can be held liable because their user posted that content on Craigslist. And so the victim could then sue Craigslist. Great in concept, 
But what's happened instead is that there's been sweeping policy changes which say, well, you know what? If we can't discern between what's consensual and non-consensual, we're just going to go ahead and ban it all, which is how the word massage ended up getting banned from Craigslist. They couldn't discern between what is someone consensually working as a massage therapist versus somebody non-consensually working as a sex-trafficked massage therapist. And somehow this solution turned into let's limit access for everyone. And now simply nobody gets to talk about massage on Craigslist. And it's interesting because when before, you know, before you reached out to me, I get this news alert and I said, oh, this is the bill. It's going to pass to help with sex traffic, reducing sex trafficking. I was like, oh, great. And then like, you know, I didn't thought about it. And it just makes me wonder that there are so many things, like all these bills and things that get passed. Sometimes we don't have enough information about ramification of how many people get affected by it. If it's the best approach to kind of fight the trafficking or not. So again, it's just so unfortunate that it got passed. Mm-hmm. The biggest thing to keep in mind is that sex workers are actively against sex trafficking. No sex worker would ever want to see somebody forced or coerced into that. And so I want to make it very clear when people see, oh, sex workers are against this bill that's pro preventing sex trafficking. It's not that we support sex trafficking. It's that this bill fails to address or I should say this law fails to address sex trafficking. And if anything, now it's driving the traffickers even further underground and making those women that otherwise could have been accessed and potentially saved from sex trafficking, now they're inaccessible. Instead of posting on Craigslist in a way that was potentially traceable, now instead you have the girls being forced to walk on the streets taking on even greater risk. Not to mention what it's done to the girls that are consensually choosing to work on their own. It's taken away their ability to advertise, to network, to connect with their own clients. It's really unfortunate. I'm very, very blessed and privileged to be a legal sex worker. And so SESTA and FOSTA really hasn't affected my business directly. I haven't necessarily suffered any negative effects of it because I am at this point in time working at the Bunny Ranch and it's legal. Of course, if the No Little Girl organization gets their way and close down the Bunny Ranch, at that point in time, I absolutely could be negatively affected by SESTA and FOSTA. And so I just want to make those two points very, very clear that those are two separate things that aren't linked together. However, we are talking about sex work as a whole here, so they are potentially impactful. Thank you, Alice, for informing about this and sharing your wealth of experience with us and knowledge. So if our listeners want to get a contact with you, get a hold of you, what would be the best way? The best way to reach me would be Alice Little at bunnyranch.com. I check my emails daily and answer them personally. And so I'm always open to answer questions, hear your feedback and just get to know you. Excellent. I make sure that I leave that in a show note. And again, thank you so much for being in this show and sharing the aspects of the job that you like and talking about the advocacy that you're doing. Oh, yes. And thank you so much for having me. If I 
had to leave it off with one message for all the listeners out there. I would love for everybody to stop for a moment and think about their own potential biases against sex workers. And then I would challenge people to break down that stigma. And if you've ever felt something negative about a sex worker, send me an email. I'd love to have a conversation with you and help change your attitudes a little bit and give you a little bit more perspective into my world. Thank you for that invitation. I'll talk to you later. Thank you so much. And you have a wonderful day. You too. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Alice Little. I appreciated her openness and I could certainly hear how passionate she is about her job and how this is something that she enjoys and she chooses to do it. And in past, I heard from the sex workers that they were seeking treatment, that how their narrative is different and how it's cruel to put everyone in the same category that all people who are doing sex worker who are doing sex work are forced to do this and they're miserable women who are doing it from lack of option and i hope that this interview with alice little gave you more information about the variety of individuals who are in this jobs and their how their experiences can drastically be different Anyhow, at the end, I encourage you to check out my website where I weekly blog post about psychology of food, sex, and drug. It's my private practice website called oasis2care.com. And I would love it if you let me know what do you think about those articles. I'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to Sexology Podcast. For more great content, visit www sexologypodcast.com. Please be advised that information presented on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health provider.